Welcome to this new VVV podcast episode, covering the most recent town hall. Hey, Christian. How's it going? Good morning. All right. Hello, everyone. Great to talk to you again. Thank you very much for tuning in. Let's wait uh, one more minute for everyone to join, and then we can get started. And as you guys might have seen in the server announcement, the podcast with Ahmed has been arranged in a slightly different way. Initially, I wanted him to come on the Twitter Spaces event, but we ended up doing the podcast live in person in Dubai, and we rented a professional podcast studio with camera equipment, proper microphones and everything. So now we have a really, really professional recording of the session. And I think that's going to be much more impactful for you guys than just listening him, uh, just listening to him on audio only. Because now we have uh, the mimics and the nuances of the conversation as well. And I think that's quite powerful, especially when we go over the lessons which we can take out of the session and that post that podcast recording is already done and what we currently do is we work on creating youtube shorts from the long format video and we're going to um, gradually release those leading up to the release of the full podcast session and the full podcast session is going to be released on sunday next week and we're going to publish it on tw- actually you're going you're going to publish it on YouTube, and this is then going to be our very first live proper video podcast, and I'm going to continue to um, do those uh, video format AMAs or uh, Q and A sessions with successful people. I think it's more um, more personal than having just the audio on Twitter. So you guys can stay tuned. We have a lot more really, really great content coming. We have some highly successful people who are going to join us on um, our alpha hour sessions and also on the Exodus sessions. Like on Tuesday, we have Abdallah joining us. And he is also one of the guys I met in Dubai. He lives on the Palm in Dubai, drives a white Bentley, and pretty much is living the life most people would dream of, but he's not satisfied. He wants more. And I think it's going to be very eye-opening for you guys to be able to talk to him and to ask him questions and to get further insights into how the minds of successful people work. And with that being said, I would say we jump right back into the shark test together with Christian. And just as a uh, side note here, um, some of the shark test questions I was asking Ahmed in the podcast as well. And apart from him looking at me like I'm an idiot, (laughs) asking him very obvious questions in his opinion and in my opinion, um, I think you guys are going to enjoy a lot hearing his answers and then also hearing how he elaborates on why he answered them in a uh, in, in that certain way and yeah it's going to be interesting for you but please when you watch the podcast and we, when we get to the segment with the questions from the shark test 
pay attention how little hesitation he actually has in his answers. Like I am asking him the question and literally before I could even finish the, uh, the question, he already gave me the answer without me providing him with the four or five different options. So everyone who was crying for more context because they couldn't make the right decision. I mean, for someone whose values are clear, like they don't have to think about what answer they want to give and they don't need more context for them. It's super obvious. And you will see, if you look in his eyes, when I'm asking him how many genders are there, I mean, yeah, you will see. It's going to be super fun. Uh, so Christian, where have we left off with the shark test? So we left off uh, just before the Hexaco questions. Um, and uh, I, I wanted to, if, uh, if you're willing, before uh, we go into the Hexaco questions, to talk about the, the individual traits that the, the Hexaco hits on, because I wanted to get your, um, your thoughts about individual, it, the individual traits it measures just in, in a broad sense, if that's okay. Um, Absolutely. So Hexaco, actually, I, I did a little research. It actually comes from uh, the, uh, it's an acronym for the following traits, honesty slash humility, emotionality, extroversion, agreeableness, conscientiousness, and openness to experience. So um, I, I don't want to belabor it too long, but I kind of want to see kind of what your thoughts are about each of those. So honesty and humility. I know you've talked about, you know, the, the uh, importance of a core sort of value set. Does that kind of hit on that? Is, is that kind of what you're looking for? Someone you can trust, someone with integrity, is humility, I know you have to have a certain amount of ego to succeed. So, um, but do you see that as more humility, meaning knowing yourself, self-awareness? So let me read to you the definition of um, the honesty and humility score from the Hexaco test. And then I'm going to elaborate a little bit of what I'm looking for. So the definition is, Persons with very high scores on the honesty, humility scale avoid manipulation, uh, excuse me, avoid manipulating others for personal gain, feel little temptation to break rules, are uninterested in lavish wealth and luxuries, and feel no special entitlement to elevated social status. Conversely, persons with very low scores on the scale will flatter others to get what they want, are inclined to break rules for personal profit, are motivated by material gain and feel a strong sense of self-importance. And then there's a breakdown of the individual metrics of uh, the overarching score, which uh, makes up the score, right? So you have uh, sincerity, and the, sincer the sincerity scale assesses a tendency to be genuine in interpersonal relations. Low scorers will flatter others, or pretend to like them in order to obtain favors, whereas higher scorers are unwilling to manipulate others. So the sincerity scale is one of the most important ones. And it, like, it's universally important. Like, no matter if it's in business or in personal relationships, I don't want to have someone around me who scores low on sincerity. Because it's, uh, you know, it's very close to uh, Machiavellism where someone is just going to be very cunning and you can't really trust what they say 
they will say one thing and then they will do the other thing. You will ask them for their opinion and then they will just lie to you. And you will never ever be able to really know for sure whose side they are on. They might talk to you very positively, but then behind your back, they might talk about you in a very negative manner. So the sincerity is just a universal metric, which I keep an eye on. And through the conversations with highly, highly successful people like Ahmed, for example, you know, and, and the, he, he has been very, um, very conservative with stating his net worth in the interview, right? But the guy is one of the most successful guys in all of Dubai. And it's very interesting because many of the things which I've told you guys as well, like he literally word for word uh, tells us in the podcast as well without me preparing him in any way. So, um, and of course, these successful people have their own minds anyway. So like there's no agenda which you could hand them, which they would follow. They, they do whatever they like, right? And it's very interesting because he pretty much says overall the same thing I've been saying as well. And that's obviously very good for me for my own personal reassurance that I'm on the right track, that we are aiming high enough and that we have the, the right values in place. But he also pays huge attention to sincerity. Like if, if there's a, even one slight shimmer of someone having an agenda or someone like flattering him where it's not genuine, I mean, that person is out of his life immediately. Like you don't have any second chances with these guys and you will also only actually be able to sit at, the, at their table if you're truly sincere. So that's really one of the most important metrics you want to see in other people you're dealing with, but also one which you can actually actively curate and develop in your own personality. Because if you have been, you know, subject to maybe a poor socioeconomic environment, then you might have been pressured to be less sincere over time. And you might have been corrupted by the people you're surrounded by or by the dynamics of your government or, um, other external influences. So this is something which comes back to doing the right thing even if no one's watching. And um, in Dubai, this can be observed in a very obvious manner because it's an extremely safe place. And you will notice, like, if you ever forget your wallet in a cafe on the table, like, you come back five hours later, the wallet will still be on the table. Like, People there are so incredibly respectful and honest and um, yeah, really take all the laws and uh, rules in place seriously, but also because the, the structure which is, which is in place actually provides proper value to everyone. So it's, it's very interesting to observe this. And I think religion does play a big role in it. Uh, big parts of the western world where religion has more or less lost its meaning it's if no one is holding accountable then you know if no one is looking then people are going to be easily tempted to do the wrong, the wrong thing or the right thing for them because they don't have the values in place so sincerity is something which is incredibly important to look out for and also if you do the test yourself um, and the website is hexaco.org. That's the official website. 
if you do the test yourself, watch out for how you score on the individual metrics and then really make an effort to research them and to actively improve them. And you don't have to improve all of them. There are some where, you know, you might actually be um, performing better if you actually have a low score. And then there's also some metrics which depend on your gender, uh, where males and females just naturally have uh, different tendencies. Um, but we'll touch on those. So the next one is the fairness score. And the fairness scale assesses a tendency to avoid fraud and corruption. Low scorers are willing to gain by cheating or stealing, whereas higher scorers are unwilling to take advantage of other individuals or of society at large. And this, again, like in personal relationships or in business, you want to be sure people are sincere and people are fair. You don't want people who are easily corrupted or who would be open to committing fraud. Now, the next one is the greed avoidance scale. And the greed avoidance scale assesses a tendency to be uninterested in possessing lavish wealth, luxury goods, and signs of high social status. Low scholars want to enjoy and to display wealth and privilege, whereas high scholars are not especially motivated by monetary or social status considerations. And so for this one, it really depends on how you have scored in, sincer in sincerity and fairness. Because if you are sincere, then it's completely fine to be wanting material goods. Because your sincerity is in check, even if you want material goods, you're not going to compromise on your sincerity, or on your integrity, or on any on the on any of the other important personal metrics for honesty. So um, that's one which is pretty much just reflecting your, your personality. And in my opinion, it doesn't have that much meaning. It can get super dangerous if someone is low on sincerity and fairness, but then you wouldn't want to deal with them regardless of how they would uh, score on the greed avoidance scale. Because even if they are not interested in, in material goods, then they have other underlying motivations for which they will be corrupted and for which they will eventually stab you in the back. So to me, the greed avoidance, it, it's interesting for personal relationships because you want to know, you know, if your friends or if your partner is interested in material goods, then you can obviously um, keep that in mind for gifts, for example. And if someone is not interested in any of the lavish goods at all, then, um, you know, they, they might be more appreciative of services or um, gestures. And it also uh, gets to, doesn't it, Sean, uh, what you've talked about before, folks who've sort of had money or, or are able to be around money and not become... Uh, insincere or unfair right so uh i know you've told us uh, before that there are folks who have not been around money before and so you don't really know how they're going to act and maybe this test kind of gets at how they might interact with uh with new money yeah so all of the guys i've spoken to in the past couple of weeks and they are all like not all of them but the ones I'm referring to, they are all multimillionaires, right? So the stories go from uh, some guy started with 50K in crypto and ended up with 50 million. The other guy started with 200K and ended up with hundreds of millions. And in both cases, they had been successful in business beforehand already. So they already have been millionaires, right? And that's also the reason why none of them ever lost any money in crypto because they already established their character as a whole for them to 
than actually deal with the money. But both of them told me that, and not just these two, but also the other guys who, who made them, their money through other means, they all tell me that they will not be around, excuse me, they will not be around people who are hungry or who are starving. Meaning if you have all the money in the world, you don't want to be surrounded by people who don't have any money at all, like literally struggling to pay the rent or to pay for food. Because if someone is desperate, even they might even be scoring relatively high on sincerity and fairness, but you also don't want to put the scores to a test where someone ranks reasonably high, but then they are under such pressure where they are starving, where they then actually have to do something illegitimate for them to survive. So, and this doesn't just go for, for money, uh, it, the, the same with, with women, right? Um, if a man is really bad with women in his interactions and he doesn't have any access to any females at all, then that's probably not the guy you would want to leave your girlfriend with if you go on a business trip, right? You, you would be more comfortable leaving it with someone who already has a girlfriend, who already has a wife or who has a very easy time um, talking to girls and interacting with females in general. So regardless of the scores, you also want to always keep in mind the external factors because you would ideally want to avoid dealing with people where the scores are actually put to a test because no matter how someone scores, like if the pressure from outside is strong enough, then most people will break. So the next one on the scale is the modesty scale. And this one assesses a tendency to be modest and unassuming. Low scorers consider themselves as superior and as entitled to privileges that others do not have. Whereas high scorers view themselves as ordinary people without any claim to special treatment. And that's a little bit of a difficult one because the, usually the people who make it to the top, they actually low, score quite low on, on that metric. But they also have the substance to back it up, right? So the score really mainly becomes a problem if you score really low, but you don't even have anything to show for because then you're just being delusional. The special privileges you have to earn in life, and these are not things which just come to you randomly. So if you have a low score on this, it's fine, but just keep in mind that whatever you feel like you deserve, there's still a long way ahead of you, and the universe is not just going to hand it to you. Okay, Christian, do you want to move on from honesty and humility? Yeah, that'd be great. So with emotionality, I, I think this really gets, uh, in in my estimation, to what we talked about with uh, Nick Boletieri, where we said that his, you know, what a lot of people criticized about him, you know, not caring about leaving people um, behind or focusing only on the champions really is what made him so successful. He didn't look back. He didn't feel guilty. He didn't second guess his, uh, his decisions. Um, so I would imagine, um, but I'm interested to hear your uh, perspective, Sean, that emotionality generally is going to be a, a negative trait if you're looking to succeed. It's true, but it again, depends on where you want to go and whether or not you're a male or female. Um, for example, if you're looking for a partner, then you would want them to be, so if you're a man and you're looking for a partner, you would want them to be rather emotional and 
to give you guys an, an overview, um, the the emotionality score is made up of fearful is made up of fearfulness, anxiety, dependence, and sentimentality. And generally speaking, women are more fear, fearful, and they also score high on anxiety, which is completely fine um, because it's just the, the the result of having more estrogen and less testosterone in your in your uh, in your system. So that's not something where, as long obviously, as long as it's within um, the the reasonable scores. Like if someone scores completely out of the scale, then it might make sense to look deeper into this. But as long as it's within reason, um, someone scoring on the higher end, as long as they're female, that's not something I would be concerned with. And when we talk about success in business then whether or not you're female or, or male, then you want to be less emotional. That's for sure. Like a, a CEO cannot be fearful and a CEO cannot feel um, cannot feel strong anxiety. Like you have to be rather thick-skinned to be able to deal with these issues. So then the whole... And let me, may, let me maybe uh, pull up my own test results here. Uh, yeah, so on the emotionality, I score really low. Uh, I, I score 1.56, and that's way be, below the uh, middle 80% of scores. So the normal range goes from 2.63 to 3.97, and uh, I, I'm scoring well below that. But that's mainly because I, I yeah, as you guys maybe have also observed, like I, I'm not very... Uh, sentimental right so if, if someone has any issues if someone comes into the server crying about some family issues or whatever uh, you know I, I cannot be bothered that's uh, everyone has their own baggage to carry everyone has their own drama in their life everyone goes through death and pain and people are starving people are dying every single day and you can't have everyone like once you get start to get sentimental you, you will never ever be at the peak of your productivity and it might be brutal, but we've discussed this uh, with Ahmed as well, where I'm asking him if it's important to temporarily become selfish for you to get your own life in order before you can actually contemplate helping others. Because if, if right out, out of the gate, before you even have put your own life in balance, if you think you have to help everyone, then that's the easiest way to be unhappy and to not have any resources or capabilities to actually help people and make a difference. How does um, that tie Cause I know, especially early on um, in VVV and, and developing the Academy uh, you spoke to me personally about, you know, being careful about uh, uh, romanticism. D does that tie into sentimentality and, and how, Obviously, there's a certain amount of sentiment that you have for, you know, sort of your your kids and your uh, dreams and things like that. And I think those can drive you sometimes, but also can be a barrier when you can't change with uh, changing environment. Like we learned in the McDonald's homework uh, where, you know, the brothers were so sentimental about the way they had built things that they were unable to change. So how do you how do you balance that? So the definition of the sentimentality scale is as follows. It assesses a tendency to feel strong emotional bonds with others. 
low scorers feel little emotion when saying goodbye or in reaction to the concerns of others, whereas higher scorers feel strong emotional attachments and an empathetic sensitivity to the feelings of others. So, you know, I feel, um, and the guys who have been to the real life event, uh, I think you guys have noticed, like I actually feel very strongly connected to, to people I'm dealing with. Um, whether or not that's online or in, in real life, doesn't matter. I, I really have a very strong um, sense of, of uh, responsibility for the people around me. And I feel very strongly um, connected with the people who I'm working with or with the people in my uh, personal relationships. But I do have, re I mean, I have really low uh, empathy. So uh, if someone is feeling sad, if someone has an issue, I mean, deal with whatever you have to deal with, but don't come to me talking about your problems. That's, uh, that, that, that's one of my, um, my main character traits where I, I don't want to be surrounded by negative people, by people with problems, by someone who doesn't know how to deal with something in their personal life. I, I don't even want to hear it. And it's pretty much the same with all the successful people I've met so far. They, they don't care what's up in your personal life. Like you, whatever drama is happening, you still are expected to get the job done. You're still expected to, to um, deliver your best work. And they don't want to hear any of the excuses. And um, empathy can so it's be... Kind of... Sorry, go ahead. Yeah, no, go ahead. Uh, I was just going to say, it. I, I think um, from what, it, correct me if I'm wrong, but it seems like th there's a dividing line between aspiration for those that you care about and then feeling like it's your problem to solve their problems, right? So you can correct. care right. and want the best for them, but you also expect them to have responsibility. And I, and I think this gets to a question that was on the original shark test if I'm, I'm not mistaken where it basically said that you feel bad when others like when you succeed and others don't and this would say no no i don't feel bad i worked hard to get that success and i want that same success for you but you're gonna have to work for it so i care about you but it's not my job to fix your your shortcomings that's for you to do yeah that, that's a really really good point and i don't have any proof for this so this is uh, just an assumption and an observation which I've made. But I do feel like very sentimental people, they don't just feel the emotions of other people, but I also think they have a higher inclination to feel sorry for themselves. And, you know, just imagine this example, you know, I don't feel sorry for anyone, but I also don't feel sorry for myself. So no matter what things I have to deal with, whatever drama or sacrifices I have to make for the, the current vision I'm working on, I never feel safe. I never feel sorry for myself. Like I'm, I'm always expecting myself to perform at my peak, no matter the circumstances, no matter what happens. Like I'm always holding myself accountable. And whether or not that's super healthy, like, you know, if you go to the extremes, that, that's always a, you know, that there's always trade-offs, right? Um, but again, I, all of the things I'm stating and, and saying and observing myself, I always double check everything with the successful people I meet, right? And they all tell me, yeah, before you can have any balance in your life, you have to go to the extreme. Like you can't like become successful through having balance. That, that's just not how it works. 
And I think that becomes quite obvious after going through the lessons in the academy. I mean, none of these icons had any balance while they were uh, coming up, right? They, they may be later on achieved balance uh, like Walt Disney, you know, with, with his family life. But that doesn't happen while you're hustling and while, while you have to work to achieve your breakthrough. No, I, and I actually, um, that, that I think is a, a, an intensely profound point. It's something that I've wondered about for a while and it makes so much sense now that you said that because I've, I've often asked um, folks like, why is it that the same people that identify themselves as the most um, empathetic, like you say, sort of pat themselves on the back for being like, oh, I have so much empathy are also the same ones that self-identify as victims. Like, I can't remember who said it, but somebody said, you can't be a hero and a victim at the same time. Um, and, but, you know, without getting too much into politics of the day, there's, there's so much victimization and then almost celebrating that victimization. So it's, I, I think that makes absolute sense. What you just said is that if you are intensely um, sentimental to that point, you're, if you feel sorry for others intensely, you're going to feel sorry for yourself intensely. Um, and you're going to wallow in the emotion of what it is that's holding me back, what it is that's holding you back. If you excuse others, you're going to excuse yourself. That makes so much sense. Um, I, I think that's an incredibly important point. And I, I would maybe also say that I'm sure there's empathetic people out there who have the discipline to still perform regardless of how strongly they feel the emotions of others. So I, I wouldn't generally say that anyone who scores high on being empathetic uh, is not very productive or has not the potential to be super successful. But, it, you know, again, the, the, the hexagon test for me is something which I explore to learn about myself, right, and to be able to see the flaws in my character and to be able to work on it. And I, I don't think that I can find it anymore, but I, I did the test the first time, like probably... Um, like five or six years ago. And my scores ha at the time have been very different from the scores which I have today. So that you will also notice if you do this, the test today, if you repeat the test in a year or two years, especially after you went through the academy or after you've been to the real life event, you will see that your character develops with time. And the more hardship you have to endure, the more, well, the more hardship you endure and depending on how you react to whatever's challenging you, then you will notice that your character is then also developing. And then you can use the test to see if you're actually moving into the right direction or if you're potentially getting corrupted. But I would assume as long as you are in VVV and surrounded by the people in our community, your scores are only going to increase in all aspects. Yeah, no, I, and that also is, is a very important point that these things can change over time. So it's not to say that this will be your, your downfall or that it even is necessarily right now, but it's important to know if you score incredibly strongly on something that is going to tend to be a temptation or something that pulls you away from, uh, from succeeding. So I, I think that's, yeah, and, and that's some a really things, important message. You know, some things are also... Um, subject to your hormonal balance in your body. Like a woman, for example, 
if she takes the test like right before her period where the hormones are fluctuating a lot and where you know where they tend to become more emotional the scores will also look slightly different than if they um, take the test after that period for example and the same for men if you have uh, low testosterone for example and you would get on testosterone replacement therapy your scores are also going to be looking different like a lot of it comes down to hormonal balance which more or less dictates how strongly um, oh, yeah how, how strong um, your scores move in some of the key metrics so again, that's why that's why I want to have the regular uh, Twitter Spaces events with Daniel, and why we'll also soon have potentially um, a Twitter Spaces event with someone who actually is in the business of um, providing testosterone replacement therapy to men, because I think it's uh, like a, a vital a, a vital metric which allows you to. to form a much more sustainable and much more incorruptible character. Like if, if you're not, if you're physically weak and if your mind is weak because you're depressed, for example, like it's very difficult to score high on honesty, uh, on sincerity, for example, or on fairness and not be able to um, be corrupted by either emotional pressure or by financial pressure. So, you know, everything is always interconnected. You, you, you can't really um, differentiate the personality from your hormonal profile or from your socioeconomic environment. Like it's, it's really, really interesting even how your, your friends can influence your scores over time. If you're only surrounded by sincere people, if you're only surrounded by people who are fair and who never put them the material aspects over their cause or over their own values, then you will have a really hard time to develop in a, in a different way, right? But if you're surrounded by people who are corrupt and who don't have any values, who uh, are very cunning, then more than likely you're going to adopt those traits as well. And uh, that's why it's so important to curate your reality really, really carefully. And I, I'm going to read a few questions, uh, Christian. Yeah. Um, even if they're a little bit of topic, guys, if you have any questions around any of the topics we, we talk about, be always free to ask them in the Twitter comments. And please also drop a retweet and a like to make sure that we share the word about VVV and about developing ourselves. So one of the questions by Mario is, I don't know if this is the right question, but how much money do you need to start living in Dubai? Um, so you can only stay in Dubai long term if you have a job, right? And living there is super expensive, in my opinion. Um, and which is logically because logical because it's a place in the desert and everything which you can buy usually gets imported. So there's a, a premium on everything, um, and it's you know it's difficult to say whether or not that's actually the best place to be living. I think it's a very good base to have, but it just feels weird to be in the desert and not be surrounded by any actual nature. Like I, I like Dubai a lot and I, I like being there, but I don't think I can stay there longer than a month 
in a row because it's just yeah something is missing like whenever i was there and whenever i come back to uh, you know uh, a country of uh, of more nature uh, i think it's it just yeah it, it's it's better for my soul to be surrounded by nature and that being said for business it's probably the best place in the world right now like there's so much there's an unbelievable amount of money in dubai and even if you can just barely afford to live there or i honestly if you don't have the money like if you don't have a lot of money <clears throat> i wouldn't go to live there but if you don't have a lot of money it might be worthwhile to go there for a month for example and try to live there on a budget which is definitely possible and just be there and be surrounded by the money and use it as a tool to broaden your horizon. Because if you see how much money is flowing through the streets and how much money is being spent in the Dubai Mall, for example, I mean, that, that's a, a really profound experience because it allows you to see that there's so much money flowing around, you just really just have to plug in somewhere through a good business setup for you to benefit from that, right? Because those people with the money, they're also spending a, a huge amount of money. So seeing that flow of cash, I think is a, is a good experience for you guys to realize that your goals have to be much greater than what you currently have. And the same happened to me. Talking to Ahmed, to me, was super, super valuable because it completely changed my perception of my goals and with the speed I'm moving and it overall just motivated, motivated the hell out of me because this guy is so sharp and so successful, but he still keeps going and he thinks so big and he's involved in, uh, yeah, in many different businesses and he's super, super smart. And yeah, that, that really allowed me to see things more clearly. And it also allowed me to, to realize the, you know, $300 million for a hedge fund. It might sound, sound a lot to, to most people, but I mean, if you know a guy who could fill up the entire hedge fund himself, uh, it puts things in perspective, right? And um, yeah, I, I can only recommend going to Dubai to you know, stay there for a few weeks to experience how it, how it works there and the kind of people and the kind of money that's moving in and out of Dubai and then uh, go back and use it as a motivation. And, you know, like if you want to go to dinner with the, the big guys, I mean, that's getting super expensive. So I wouldn't even bother like contemplating uh, living the good life there unless you already made a significant amount of money because it's just everything is ridiculously expensive there. Let's see if we have any more questions. Okay, so if you have a question by Mike, <clears throat> he's asking, good evening, VVV, Sean. I don't know if we have time for non-related questions, but I wanted to have your opinion on how to successfully work on your plan of action when starting out your own business or freelance career. Um, I would say that we probably discussed this. Um, I think I even asked um, Misha to come on live I'm not sure if I asked him to come on live today or the next time, but I think it would be wise for us to discuss this live 
like if you could join us or if someone else could join us uh, in one of the upcoming alpha hours where we can discuss this in in voice uh, man to man so to speak for me to actually give you the the actual actionable advice for your specific situation <clears throat> like generally speaking there, there's two things which you should get in check do a sales course and i highly highly recommend doing the sales course by grant cardone another acceptable course would be the one from jordan belford if you don't like grant cardone's personality but i, I would recommend doing the one from grant cardone because it's just much more efficient and um was, it was the one which i found the most use out of then the next one is doing a copywriting course and there i didn't really found i didn't really find anyone any specific one which has all the answers but there's a guy called anik singal and he has a copywriting course and his course is quite good but you, you can do um you know a few different ones just to understand the, the overall concept of copywriting like copywriting is not about finding fancy words copywriting is mainly about framing things and understanding the concept of framing is probably the most powerful thing and being good in sales and being good in copywriting that goes hand in hand and that's going to be the thing which allows you to do business either as a you know business owner or as a freelancer much more efficiently and much much more successfully and then when it comes to, to a plan of action, you know, I wouldn't spend too much time on like actually crafting a, a plan of action. I, I would just put all the effort you have into finding your first client and then doing the best job possible for them. And not with the goal in mind to make a significant amount of money from that first client. I would even recommend doing the first two or three clients completely for free, just work for free for them and do the best possible job you can do for them and make sure that they would be open afterwards to provide you with a testimonial about how you did and how well they were pleased with the work you did because then you can use those two or three uh, then you can use those two or three testimonials and take them and go to new clients and you can actually show what you did and you can provide the contact information of your previous clients and you can tell the new client, hey, these are the most recent two clients I did this for. And if you want to get in touch with them, you can do so. Here's the contact info. I would be more than happy to work with you. And then you can actually charge those new clients a lot more and they will feel um, much more comfortable paying you more because they already know, okay, this guy is real. He can deliver. He has happy clients. And then you're going to be able to build up the momentum a lot faster. And we can we can go into in depth uh, on this uh, maybe in two weeks or maybe in one of the Exodus sessions anytime. Okay, Christian. Okay, so we have one more question. Uh, maybe even a few more. Let me see. Um, we have one question by Max. He's asking, you applied 10x on your 10x after the talk with Ahmed. Looking forward to hear more. Yeah, that's pretty much what I did. I, I came and I actually, so Ahmed, the first time we met, Ahmed asked me, what do you need help with? Is there anything I can do? And I told him, I don't need any help. Right? It's pretty much the same thing I tell anyone. And then afterwards, 
well after the podcast we uh, we met twice after the podcast i realized there was one thing i was needing and that was a kick in the ass right and some inspiration and that's pretty much what ahmed gave me uh, i don't need any favors i don't need any money or resources i always uh, i already know what to do how to do it and i have access to all the resources i need but that additional motivation and the him stressing the importance of speed that was really really uh, a driving factor for me and so you could say i had 10x the goals again which uh, i think goes well with the uh, 100x and 1000x philosophy of vvv so mario's asking i would love to hear your story from the moment you left your country on a motorcycle where you went, how your life turned out later. Um, yeah, I can do that, but maybe not today. Because if I start with the story, then it's going to uh, shift us too far away um, from the shark test. But I would say that one takeaway, uh, which you guys could take from the shark test, is the question about freedom or safety. And I asked Ahmed the same question and without any hesitation, he, he said freedom. And the reason why I left Germany uh, on a motorbike uh, four and a half years ago was because I wanted to be free. And I, I felt like I had imprisoned myself to a degree in my socioeconomic environment, i.e. The, the friends I was surrounded by and the, the things I was studying. And I found my freedom in becoming a freelancer initially. And... I valued freedom more than I valued safety, which is the reason why I made the leap to becoming a freelancer. And I think that's really the the main mentality which you need to have. You you need to value freedom more than you value safety. And I think that's, in my opinion, freedom and chasing freedom is really the only path to happiness and to fulfilled life. Because, and that's a saying, um, those who are willing to give up their freedom to achieve safety will eventually lose both. And that's one of the most true statements in light of the recent events with the pandemic and everything that happened afterwards. So I can only highly, highly encourage anyone who answered that chart test question with safety to go back to the drawing board and really think very in depth about the meaning of those two words and the meaning of your choices for your own life because if you always make the choice for safety then eventually you're going to completely lose your freedom over to you Christian Christian I still there. yes sir sorry the connection for a second um so, um, the next, uh, segment would be extroversion. I know we talked about, uh, this one, uh, when it comes to especially Steve Ballmer and his energy publicly. Um, and I know it, uh, the, the aspects of it are social self-esteem, social boldness, sociability, and liveliness. I would imagine for this, uh, pretty much, uh, across the board, you would want to have extroversion score pretty highly if you're going to be um, successful. Is that true? Uh, no, 
Um, okay, let, let me let me uh, read the definition first, right? Uh, so we we all know what we talk about, because extroversion can be interpreted by different te- people in different ways. So we take the definition of the actual score, and the definition by the testers. Persons with very high scores on the extroversion scale feel positively about themselves, feel confident when leading or addressing groups of people, enjoy social gatherings and interactions, and experience positive feelings of enthusiasm and energy. Conversely, persons with very low scores on the scale consider themselves unpopular, feel awkward when they are the center of social attention, are indifferent to social activities, and feel less lively and optimistic than others. So, and the, the reason why it's important to break down the scores into the the um, subtopics of them is because there's a, a plethora, like even I think even the, the majority of super successful people they are actually introverts. So Bill Gates, Warren Buffett, like these are not really extroverted people. So the the the, the concept of ne- needing to be extroverted for success. It's not true. I think being extroverted makes things a lot easier, um, but it's not really a necessity. You, you can be completely introverted, uh, like Mark Zuckerberg, for example. And, and some of these guys are just also generally super awkward, right? You, you can tell, like, in their social interactions, they're not really good talking and interacting with people. And to me, this is... I personally don't like that. Like, I, I don't... Uh, like if people are overly awkward, uh, to me that's already a, a red flag in itself. And yeah, I mean, I actually don't like out of all the people I met, you know, there's a few crypto guys who who really only made all the money in crypto, but still, even them, they are like pretty extroverted and and pretty confident. And you you might still classify them maybe as a, a little bit of a of a nerd, uh, which they might have to be to a certain extent because they are just so good at what they do um, and then have to naturally have trade-offs in, in other areas because that's all they focus on. But even these guys are not overly awkward and, and they're quite confident in, in uh, what they do, right? So, um, yeah, I, I wouldn't say you have to be extroverted, but you have to be confident. That That's for sure. Like, you have to have... Um, self-esteem not necessarily not necessarily the, the social self-esteem which is part of the score but um self-esteem in general so it's more important that you have the skill set and be able to speak without using introversion as a um as an excuse but you don't have to have a base level of excitement or or fulfillment uh, well, in speaking okay so public. Well, excitement is different from being extroverted, right? So uh, there's one subscore of the extroversion, which is the liveliness. And the liveliness scale assesses one's typical enthusiasm and energy. Low scorers tend not to feel especially cheerful or dynamic, whereas high scorers usually experience a sense of optimism and high spirits. And this is very interesting. If you look at the interviews with uh, Bill Gates, for example, he is incredibly enthusiastic. Uh, I would say, look at the old interviews of Bill Gates. Um, he is ex- extremely enthusiastic and has a lot of energy, but he's not very extroverted. So you know, they don't. Uh, they are not mutually exclusive, right? You, you can be completely introverted, but you can still have 
high enthusiasm and high energy. Okay, that makes sense. Um, so, uh, any anything else that you want to uh, instruct us on about um, extroversion, or should we move on to agreeableness? Well, one thing which came to my mind, which is something which I have um, explored in the last few days, um, after I met uh, the guy who is um, doing the testosterone replacement um, subscriptions or prescriptions for his patients, there's something called the Adam test. And that's a, a test, and this is not a, a it is a, a, there are some underlying studies for the test, but I wouldn't just use the test to, you know, um, actually make a prescription, right? You want to get the blood work done. But there's a test which more or less tests for a lack of testosterone. And in the test, there are questions like, do you have a lack of energy? And then you can say yes or no. And another one is, have you noticed a decreased enjoyment of life? Are you? And another one is, are you sad and or grumpy? And that's very, very interesting because it goes into the liveliness score, right? And I think there's a very strong correlation between being low in testosterone and having a low liveliness scale in general. So anyone who's scoring low on liveliness, I would encourage to Google the Adam test and take that test as well, and then just see how you actually score on the test, right? And if the, the result is that you, you might need uh, testosterone replacement, then I would highly encourage you to get your blood work done, test for all the, um, all the relevant, relevant metrics of testosterone, and ideally you take the test results and uh, get in touch with Daniel and uh, see what he says. Because I think there's an actual ongoing pandemic of low testosterone amongst males, which is not necessarily just um, up to your genetics. A lot of it is also subject to the external factors like the you know tap water, the water out of the plastic bottles like that. There's a plethora of small par uh, small things which play into lowering your scores, and that's eventually also going to dilute or inhibit your actual personality. So, because I know from my own experience, you know, I, I've, uh, I had low testosterone uh, when I was uh, in my late teens and early 20s. And I went on testosterone replacement therapy and it completely changed my liveliness, like 180 degrees. So, you know, I know from my own experience that uh, the impact is, is quite um, notable. And uh, I think it's... Uh, yeah, it's borderline impossible for someone uh, who has his hormones screwed up to actually feel very enjoyed about his life. Yeah, I can um, definitely uh, speak from experience with, uh, not necessarily with uh, hormone replacement therapy, but uh, working with, with Daniel and getting, you know, diet right and, and sleep right and all of the natural things that, that help um, regulate testosterone too um that liveliness definitely increases so um so one of the uh I, I guess famous interviews that jordan peterson um did was with a, a female newscaster or um uh, I, I don't know if she was a journalist or if she was more 
opinion um, may have been a mixture, but talking about this topic of agreeableness um, and how low agreeableness tends to be found in uh, those who are more successful and high agreeableness. It also tends to vary by, um, by gender. Um, so men tend to be on average less agreeable. Women tend to be on average a little more agreeable. Um, and obviously there's, you know, a certain amount of agreeableness that I'm assuming you would need in order to, uh, work with people and make compromise. But I know, um, I'm interested to hear more about sort of your thoughts about agreeableness specifically and, and balancing that in, in trying to succeed. Okay. Let, let me break down the underlying scores of the agreeableness domain. So we have the forgivingness scale, and this one assesses the willingness to feel trust and liking towards those who may have caused one harm. Low scorers tend to hold a grudge against those who have offended them, whereas high scorers are usually ready to trust others again and to reestablish friendly relations after having been treated badly. And I was asking Ahmed this specific question because I don't give people second chances, like you make the wrong decision once, you stab me in the back once, and that's it, right? There's no second chances. And I was asking him, because I know that I'm quite extreme, and I was curious to to hear his take on it. And he says that he very, very rarely um, gives people second chances. So it's very close to, uh, to how I treat uh, these things. He's not as extreme as me. I think what, what he does you know, is a little bit more... Uh, forgiving but still uh, and both of us we, we don't actively hold crutches like it's not like you know you, you walk around and you, you always have anger within yourself or anyone who crossed you you just get rid of them and move on right and I think it's very important to be able to um, not hold a crutch but to also not be too lenient in your forgivingness um, like generally speaking if you're looking for a partner to have a relationship with you want them to be relatively high on the forgivingness scale otherwise you're going to be a, you're going to have a tough time because you will never ever always not make a mistake right there's going to be some instances where you make a mistake and then if you have someone who is low on forgivingness they will bring up that mistake over and over and over again so even after even 5 years later if you made a wrong decision you know, a few years before, they will still bring it up and still rub it in your face. So generally speaking, if you're, if you're looking for a partner, like it's preferred to have someone who's scoring like relatively high on the forgivingness. Otherwise it can make the entire uh, relationship quite difficult because you always have to work against something, right? There's always going to be past objections which come up, which can make things quite difficult. And like for, for running a business, I think it's better to not forgive anyone and I think it's it's also important to make that very clear to everyone um, we spoke about this in at the real life event with Aaron and he also said like in his uh, social interactions yes you know he, he gives people second chances but in business uh, there, there are no uh, second chances like you do the wrong thing once and then you're out now the second part of the agreeableness domain is the gentleness scale and the gentleness scale assesses a tendency to be mild and lenient in dealings with other people. Low scorers tend to be critical in their evaluations, in their evaluation of others. 
whereas high scorers are reluctant to judge others harshly. Um, well, that, that one is difficult for me to actually make sense of. Um, I don't think it has any... I can't really extract whether or not that has a strong impact on your overall performance. I think uh, in, in general in business, the successful people are more critical of how they evaluate others, but it's not like they go around and, and judge everyone. Like that, That's not the, the underlying meaning of that. It's more that they pay a lot of attention to detail. So if someone does a job, they don't just expect them to complete the job, but they expect them to perform at their very, very best. Now, the next part of the score is the flexibility scale. And the this scale assesses one's willingness to compromise and to cooperate with others. Low scorers are seen as stubborn and are willing to argue, whereas high scorers avoid arguments and accommodate others' suggestions, even, even when these may be unreasonable. And on this one, like all the successful people I, I spoke with and all the ones which we studied in the, in the academy, they have relatively low scores. Like they are quite stubborn and uh, they, they would argue whatever they are convinced of to death, right? They, they will not um, compromise on, on their viewpoints. That being said, they still do have the ability to be objective, so they don't get emotional about it, right? If they know that they are right, like they will not move, that's for sure. But they still always have an open mind. And if it's reasonable, then you will be able to discuss your viewpoint with them. And even if they disagree, you will be able to have an actual conversation with them, right? So the, the flexibility, I think, you, you can't really be too flexible if you're the CEO of a company, like if you're running a business, they they have to have uh, they have to be very clear lines and you have to stay on your path, but still you have to manage to still remain ob objective and not to become like overly stubborn where you are obviously making a mistake and people are telling you what to do instead and you you can't listen right and I think in general it's quite difficult to find that balance because what most self-made successful people have in common is that they made decisions where everyone was always telling them that it's a bad decision and then those in quotes bad decisions made them multi-millionaires so now you know everyone who always gave you advice has always been wrong right and then it's quite difficult to be open to advice still if you have always gone against the advice of other people and it worked out quite well and the last one on the scale is, is the patient scale. And the patient scale assesses a tendency to remain calm rather than to become angry. Low scorers tend to lose their tempers quickly, whereas high scorers have a high threshold for feeling or expressing anger. And again, this is something which comes back to being professional. The people I know, they score quite low on the patient scale, but still they won't get um, emotional about certain situations and to give an example um, with Ahmed for, for instance when I was um, when we arranged the date and the time for the podcast I was there 20 minutes early because I know for sure like if I'm late 5 minutes he's going to be pissed right because his time is extremely valuable he's busy he wants to get things done on time 
and I know he's respectful of my time as well. So I'm showing up early and I'm not going to be late. And like, if you don't follow um, that code of conduct and if you're not treating their time with respect, then you will see that they, they are super low on the patient score. Like if you um, don't respect their time, then you know after 10 minutes, he will just leave. And that was your one and the only chance to ever talk to him again. Right? Um, so the, the patient scale, I think, is quite important to keep in mind. And also in your personal relationships, it's also important to pay attention to that score because if your significant other has low patience, you know, then don't let them wait, right? And if someone is high on the patient score, then you know that they are at least if something happens, like if you, you know, if you're late or in other instances can't um, perform during the time frame you maybe promise them to perform, then they will be more forgiving and will have more patience and lenience. So overall, like the agreeableness score, in my opinion, is one of the most important ones for the personal re relationships. Like in, in general, at and I can only speak from the perspective of a, of a man, right? Uh, I, I can't give you guys, uh, I can't give the, the girls or, or uh, female listeners any advice on who to pick as a man um, because I'm quite low on the agreeableness domain. Um, but if you are a man and looking for a female partner, I can only recommend getting someone who, who scores really high on the agreeableness domain um, because you don't want to deal with someone who is slow on agreeableness. Then like every single decision for the rest of your life is always going to be an argument and it's going to be incredibly painful to actually go through with that. But out of curiosity, let me check my own score. Um, okay, this is, this is quite interesting. So, and again, this depends uh, a little bit on how the questions are phrased in the, in the Hexaco test. I, I don't know them. I don't remember them by heart. But uh, my agreeableness uh, scores uh, within the range of what's normal, or what's within the 80% of um, what most people scored. And the one which is super low, is the forgivingness. And I think that that has become, uh, you know, quite obvious from anyone uh, following VVV. Like, if someone is behaving like an idiot, uh, I have quite a, sh a short temper and there's not um, that much leeway which I'm going to give someone who is, for example, disrespecting uh, other community members. Um, on all the other ones I score... Uh, within the, the normal range and my patience is, is actually quite high. So, um, you know, I don't, and this is actually something which I have improved in, in the past couple of uh, weeks and months because my patience, generally speaking, was relatively low. Uh, like I, I had a, a pretty, um, pretty strong temper, um, especially during the period where I built up BBV, like my, my temper sometimes um, got the best of me and that, that also led me to make, uh, you know, a few wrong decisions. Uh, I, I went into some interactions with individuals uh, in, with the wrong attitude and in the wrong way, right? And there's still, you know, you still, you, you can't, under pressure, you can't always make the right decisions. You can't always react um, in the right fashion. There will always be some instances where, you know, maybe someone doesn't mean anything bad and then you react uh, overly harsh. And and it's not an excuse, you know. There's still 
still something I, I'm very aware of and still something I work on. But, you know, being in the situation where the stakes are high and you have hundreds and hundreds of stakeholders and they want you to do right by them and to perform at your best. And then there's also, you know, personal circumstances and other uh, things which play into your mood. And, you know, within that pressure to still always be super patient, that can be quite challenging. But uh, I think, and I hope you guys noticed this, uh, that the past few, uh, one or two months and uh, past few weeks, uh, I really went out of my way to, you know, keep this in mind and to treat any situation which maybe in the past would have triggered me to react more harshly to do it in a more um, professional and objective manner. And... You know, again, looking at this from uh, the perspective of an average person, I, I probably still have very low uh, patience because I, you know, I might um, look the other way once and let someone continue in the community. But if it's, you know, if it's something that's recurring, I mean, I don't give people three strikes, right? I give someone one strike and then they are out. And Christian, I think you wanted to say something. Oh, no, I was just going to say, uh, those of us who went through the first purge, we know, <laughs> we no, recognize yeah. <laughs> the difference. <laughs> yeah, and so, I, to be uh, honest, like looking, looking, looking back at doing this, I, I still think for sure it was the, the right thing to do, right? Um, at the time, of course, it was, I, I mean, it was super, super risky. Uh, I mean, that's for sure. And it caused a huge shitstorm amongst other communities and overall it caused uh, caused me a lot of headache and drama but it it led to what we have today right and um oh yeah definitely you know, i mean it definitely and, built a, a very strong core um core group and value set it, it really set the foundation yeah and i also went over the numbers um of vvv of last year um a few days ago um, especially because I'm now um, in the process of uh, building the blockchain fund, right? And I think what we've built is quite impressive. Like, um, you know, our cross profits of 2022 are over $1 million. And that's quite a significant amount for a project which is brand new. And if you look at the NFT trading volume, it was 480 ETH which depending on the ETH price is between uh, half a million dollars and 750K. And we have, and I, I'm waiting for my team to give me the, the specific numbers here, but I think we currently have like over 500 holders. I think it might even be close to 600 individual holders. So the overall distribution of the NFT is also really, really strong. And if you take the investments into, amount, into account, and um, add them to the revenue which was generated by VVV. Then we have a, a business which was, and I don't even re remember when we actually founded VVV, but I think like in April or May of last year, so in like seven months or so, we did uh, $3 million in revenue. And for a brand new business, that's really, really impressive. And this wouldn't have been possible without us going out of our way to make sure that we attract the right people and that we also actively repel the, the people who don't align with the values which we have.
Yeah, absolutely. Um, and I, I wanted to ask um, about conscientiousness, because this is one that really got me thinking um, when I started looking into the Hexaco test, because I know you've talked in the past about obviously certain of these uh, traits, organization, diligence, um, you know, prudence, those tend to be relatively important for, for somebody to be, uh, you know, successful in daily work. Um, but perfectionism really got me thinking, cause I know you talked about the danger of crossing over from perfectionism into neuroticism. Um, and so I was, I was curious to hear your thoughts about, especially this one and, and, uh, the next one openness, uh, but we'll talk about that in a second, but what, what are your thoughts about conscientiousness? Well, it's the most important metric I'm looking for in employees. Like if I'm hiring someone, I want them to be on the high end of conscious conscientiousness because it's by far the one which is going to reflect the reliability and the attention to detail of someone. And I think a good and um, I don't let me see because I have his test results, but I don't want to share his name. Uh, but I also want to give him praise. So let me see uh, how we can do this. And let me just double check if I'm actually right. Yeah, I mean. So, Leon, I'm going to use you as an example. Because I, and I actually didn't have your score in mind. Uh, but uh, looking at your test results actually proves my point. So, you know, conscientiousness is one of the most important metrics for having an, a real reliable employee or reliable team member, right? Because people scoring very high, they will do what they say they do and they will not just do it, but they will also pay a lot of attention and not make any mistakes. And Leon, for example, slash exec, he is one of the team members, which I think is by far, okay, I don't want to uh, put the others down because they're also very high on the scores, but of all the people I've worked with so far, like in my career, like Leon literally never makes a mistake and he pays attention to every single detail. And whatever I ask him to do, he doesn't just do it, but he over delivers every single time. So just having that in mind, I just th thought he's probably a good example for a high score, right? And now I just double checked his scores and he's completely out of bounds on the very, very high end, right? So you can't really score any higher than what he scored in the, in the test and that goes very very well along uh, the impression I had and the results he has delivered and really finding someone who's high on conscientiousness is an absolute blessing like if you have a team of people who score high in that area they will outperform any other team because they will do what they say they do and they will not mis make mistakes. They will double and triple check everything they deliver because they are perfectionists and they will get things done. Yeah, and there was a question on the um, the test that was, I often check my work over repeatedly. Um, yeah. And uh, I, when I took the test, I was reflecting on, um, you know, a tendency that I had earlier in life where I would check over repeatedly so many times that I would run out of time on a test. So I guess that's where you would turn into, you know, uh, nah, perfectionism well, turns into keep, neuroticism. No, nah, keep in mind the, the, the way 
university teaches you to learn and perform is absolute garbage. Gotcha. Right? Yeah. Of course, you you can't be. Uh, I can't find any nice word, but you can't be an idiot about about this, right? So you you can't. Right. Of course, everything can turn into like neurosis if you go completely mad, right? But generally speaking, right. being a perfectionist is a good thing. Like you want all your employees right. to be perfectionists and double and triple check the work before they deliver it to make sure that there's no mistakes. And even if it's like in university for a test, you only have one hour, for example, right? But if it's a, a real world environment, you can work overtime, right? And I don't care if you take yeah. four, four hours uh, to complete the work or if you take eight hours, if I'm only paying you four, right? I mean, if, if you go out of your way to deliver the best possible result and you take more hours than what I'm paying you for, I mean, I'm completely fine with that. And I, I would actually appreciate that more, right? I, I, because everything we do, like especially if you're working uh, in an um, investment environment where the stakes are high and where you're dealing with other people's money, I mean, I don't, I don't want anyone to make any mistake, right? Because like, if we mess up something in the smart contract, uh, if we mess up something in how we account for the individual investments, it's going to be a huge, huge headache to reverse anything. Uh, and sometimes yeah. it might not even be possible, right? So I, I think the uh, even the perfectionism score uh, is better to be on the higher end. No, that makes total sense. And, and I think it's a, a good point that um, you just made again that, you know, that I wasn't really thinking of, which is that the way that we're, again, you know, returning to that theme, the way that we're taught um, to, to work in, you know, very controlled, um, you know, school environment where they're trying to make it, you know, convenient for them and, and, you know, put you into a box is not necessarily the way that you even interact once you're in uh, professional life, if you want to succeed. And so I think, um, that's a, that's a really good point. I mean, I, you know, just recently I've been um, helping my son because they want him to do timed tests where he can go through and do faster and faster and faster and faster. And it's, it's not really about checking your work, but being as fast as you can. And that really, in some ways, you know, not that it's not important to be efficient, but it doesn't, um, it doesn't really teach you to be conscientious. So, um, uh, let's see. So the last one that I really wanted to, uh, is uh, the last uh, quality is openness to experience. And I, I really was interested to hear kind of what your thoughts were about this, because I know we've talked in the past about um, not wasting time with certain things like, you know, sporting events and um, and frivolous things, but also the importance of nature and, and being around things that inspire you. So I, I was, this was probably the metric that I was most interested to hear your, your perspective on, cause I wasn't sure, um, which, which way you'd, you'd come down on it. Okay. Let me read the definition for everyone who's listening and who hasn't done the test yet. So openness to experience means Persons with very high scores on the openness to experience scale become absorbed in the beauty of art and nature, are inquisitive about various domains of knowledge, use their imagination freely in everyday life, and take an interest in unusual ideas of people. 
Conversely, persons with very low scores on this scale are rather unimpressed with most works of art, feel little intellectual curiosity, avoid creative pursuits, and feel little attraction toward ideas that may seem radical or unconventional. And um, let me pull up my own uh, scores here. So, yeah, it's, you know, the thing is, I think with this one, it's good to just be within the range and not to be on the extremes on either end, right? Because, like, if you become overly indulged in, you know, in your creativity or spirituality, then you're going to turn into a hippie and you're probably going to lose touch with reality. And then again, if you if you score on the very low end, and you don't have any appreciation appreciation for art, creativity, or uh, knowledge, history, then you're probably also not going to be able to see the world for what it actually is and what it actually provides. And you you might have uh, less appreciation for humanity as a whole. So um, you know my scores are not very uh, interesting, I think, because I, I'm pretty much exactly scoring the average. Um, and then if you go into the, the breakdown, the ones which stand out uh, a little bit is the creativity and unconventionality. Um, that's where I'm scoring on the higher end, which pretty much, I think, re reflects very accurately uh, the way I'm running VVV and with what we're doing. Um, I for most of the problems problems or challenges which we have been facing, I came up with very creative solutions. And for having new and maybe strange or radical ideas, um, you know, I think we're doing a good job there as well for having a, a, a groundbreaking concept of how we arrange the investments. And for what I'm planning with the blockchain fund, it's uh, going to be a very disruptive approach and I think that's uh, also being reflected in those scores. But um, yeah, I think this one is more or less about, you know, having it more like within the realms of what's normal. Uh, I think that's probably going to be the, um, the balance which provides you with getting the most out of life. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Being and open to new things, but not being obsessed with it. Correct. And then, yeah, like, I think all the people we've studied in the academy, like all of them are like, I mean, do you, can you think of an example where the person might be very uncreative? No, I mean, they all had to learn, learn to go their own way, sort of like the, the backwards bicycle uh, yeah. taught, but they were also very pragmatic in the ways that they applied that um, they didn't get lost in a zillion ideas and, and sort of the uh, analysis paralysis. They always chose yeah, exactly. a, a creative approach and then move forward. Yeah. I think this one is really, it's probably the only one which is mainly about balance. I would say. That makes a lot of sense. Well, um, I know we're, we're a little ways uh, in now. So um, shall we save the, the individual questions till uh, the next time? Yeah, I would say so. Um, before we close it, we have one more question. 
by Mario. And he is asking, you often repeat that you know what to do and how to do it. What percentage are the education and courses you spend a lot of time on? And what percentage are the right people you met who helped you and already knew how to make money? So um, it's a really good question, Mario. And so you assume that I spend a lot of time on the education courses, right? And that's not necessarily true. I spent uh, a very condensed amount of time with the courses, but then afterwards I started to take action. And most of the learnings and most of my confidence in knowing what to do, that comes from the repeated success I had whenever I took action, right? And um, you have to build up that confidence through taking action and you have to learn through doing. It's not like you can spend an immense amount of time with the theory and then go out there and not make any mistakes. And uh, Ahmed actually elaborates on this as well. And the people who I meet, who are meeting now, who know how to make money, like I'm only meeting them because I also already know how to make money, right? Like you're not going, you're going to have a, it's, it's not impossible because you have, you can have that uh, mentor mentee relationship in real life. Like that, that's very well possible, but it's quite difficult to actually get at a table with a bunch of millionaires without you actually knowing already how to make the money. So that's not really affected to be honest. Like all the mentors I had, they didn't know me beforehand. Like, um, Grant Cardone, and I actually met uh, Dan Pena, but, you know, I took away a lot of value from him before I even met him. So Grant Cardone, Dan Pena, and the people we, we study in the, in the academy, you can have them as mentors and you can look up to them without actually sitting at the same table as them. Uh, and I don't want you guys to read too much, but a good book is How to Win Friends and Influence People because Napoleon Hill talks about his private mastermind group in his own head where he studies a bunch of successful people and then once you know enough about th those people you can pretty much have a mastermind uh, round table in your own fantasies and you can actually extract whatever advice they would give you in certain ex uh, situations and that can actually help you uh, to learn what to do in what situation right so um, well to answer your question a little bit more clearly um, it's maybe 10% education and courses and 90% doing. And with that being said, let me check one more time. If we have any more questions, looks like that's it for the day. And uh, again, guys, thank you very much for listening in. If you've enjoyed this session, kindly leave a retweet and a like for us. That would be very much appreciated. And Christian, thank you so much for joining us today. It's always a pleasure to have you and to brainstorm with you. And I'm very much looking forward to uh, discuss the future of the Academy with you. Uh, that's actually one of the things I uh, came to realize talking with Ahmed um, is that the educational part which we have is, first of all, and without patting myself on the back, right, because all the credit goes to Christian and to Squama, excuse me, <laughs> to Christian and to Leon, for working as mentors in the academy but what we have built with the academy is actually much more profound and much more impactful than i actually imagined 
And it's not just impactful and profound for the students who go through everything, but it's also super, super interesting for the external future stakeholders of what we're building. Because those guys who already have all the money they could dream of, you know, to them, of course, it's attractive to turn 100 million into 500 million, but they are much more interested in the impact which the work we do actually has. So for them, the university, uh, excuse me, the, the academy and the future university, which I want to build, are actually much more interesting than just the monetary aspect. So I'm very much looking forward to working on the future content of the academy with Christian and with Leon and to really double down and make this, you know, much more well-known core foundation of what we have because we have you know, a bunch of active students. We have over a thousand homework submissions, which we have, uh, which the mentors have gone through and reviewed and provided feedback on. And I think this is actually something which we have to push more and to make it more obvious that this is a, a vital tool for the students to lead a more meaningful and fulfilled life. And with that being said, guys, thank you once again. Thank you, Christian. And thanks for everyone tuning in. Keep in mind, we have another session on Tuesday at the same time as today. That's going to be the Exodus session with Abdallah. And I think going back and forth with him and you guys asking questions and you guys are also welcome to come on stage and talk to him. I think that's going to be able to uh, open up your minds and you know hear from someone else than me what's the key to success what personality traits are important what points of views you might want to adopt to perform at your peak and um again you know you you, you rarely get like in the current environment if, if you're not already uh, surrounded by successful people if you're just creating your 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 circle of friends in a new way you know, it's it's pretty much invaluable to get a hold of people like Abdallah who are successful by any measurable metric, but who still want more. Like these guys are where you want to be and they already want more. So it's super, super uh, helpful to, to, to talk to them and to get a new perspective because then you might realize that what you want is actually way below your own potential and that you actually want to aim a lot and that's eventually going to allow you to perform at a higher rate to be more motivated and to set more goal uh, to set higher goals for yourself and to just live a better life and get more out of your life so i'm hopefully seeing you again on tuesday 5 p.m cet otherwise i hope to see you as a viewer of our big podcast release next sunday thank you once again guys and talk to you soon bye-bye This recording has been prepared and made available by VVV. It is for informational purposes only and should not be considered a solicitation to sell, buy or subscribe to any financial instruments or products. VVV does not express any opinion as to the present or future price of any instrument mentioned in this recording. The information provided in this recording is believed to be valid and accurate on the date it is first published but VVV, along with its directors, officers and employees, does not accept any liability for any loss arising from the use of this information as it may change in the future without notice. 
Any decision made by a party after listening to this recording shall be on the basis of its own research and not based on the information and opinions provided by VVV.